I think it was 52 years ago when I was in the college seminary at St. John's in Camarillo, Bishop John J. Ward, Auxiliary Bishop of Los Angeles, came up to celebrate a Mass with the seminarians to encourage us. And he loved going up there, very social. And um, he gave a homily I, I never forgot. It was about four times I remember his homilies clearly. And he simply uh, said this. He was a great fan of Newt Rockney, uh, the coach of Notre Dame, big Catholic university back in the Midwest. And he um, loved sports. And he loved telling Newt Rockney stories. So he tells this one that uh, the team was losing kind of miserably. And so as coach, he went over to, uh, I'll say, number 36 and said, come on, 36, come off the field. Number 16, get in there. Can you do something? And he says this. He jumps up so excited. He says, I'll try, coach. And Bishop Ward had a big, booming voice. He said, I'll try, coach. And, and Coach Rockney said, sit down. That man's trying. We don't need another trier. We need a doer. Well, I never forgot it. How do you forget something like that? But I think it's true that faith is something you do. It's not just an idea. It's not just something interesting or uh, inspiring. It's something you become a part of. Do We're going to baptize this little boy. He doesn't know what's happening. He really doesn't. How old is he? Three? He might remember that water was poured on today, but he won't really understand what's going on. So his parents, godparents, are going to make the promise to, that they're going to teach him, help him to grow in his faith. Every day. In fact, the opening prayer said that we could be children of the light. The last thing we'll do is give him the candle. Children of the light. But faith is something that has to become a part of us that encourages us and calls us to become something and do something and make a difference to put our faith into action. So this weekend, it just, uh, I, I'm... I like to say that I'm a serendipitous person because it upsets one of my priest friends who says I don't know what I'm talking about. But if I look up and the, and the digital clock says 222, I say, oh, serendipitous. And he says, you don't know the meaning of the word. I said, whatever. It's serendipitous to me. So, to that one too, see? So, um, today and uh, yesterday uh, some things happen tomorrow something happens our school opens again tomorrow st bernard school it always happens right around the 20th so in this case the 22nd uh, because how appropriately is st bernard school opening near the feast of st bernard so all these children will come back under the patronage of st bernard who's a great teacher a doctor of the church so that they can begin to grow and deepen in their love for knowledge and understanding and in their faith in Jesus Christ. But in addition to that, uh, yesterday on the actual feast day, about 75 uh, elderly in our community in Spanish went on a retreat by this priest from Mexico, uh, and a 15-year-old girl was among the group, and they spent the whole day in retreat and mass over in the hall. At the same time, Kairos, we have a group of Kairos in Spanish here. They start Thursday night and they end today and then they come here for, for a 3 o'clock Mass. The church will be shaking with their jumping and dancing here before the Lord in all of their excitement. But all these people went on retreat on the very weekend of the feast of our patron Bernard. And I just thought, Guy, this is just like a moment of grace. This is, this is really serendipitous to me. And we have a baptism now. We have a baptism of the next Mass. We have a baptism of the next Mass. And it's exactly what faith should be doing, stirring us up and inviting us in and sending us forth and exciting us, putting us on fire like the 
opening prayer said about Bernard, on fire with faith, on fire. So today, we hear in the Word of God uh, some of this. We've been listening to prophets for weeks and weeks, and one of the things that I don't like about the prophets is I consider them bad parents. They're like parents who say uh, to the kid, you better stop that, or when your father gets home, you're going to be in trouble. And they put all the blame on poor daddy, you know. Or, or they say, you do that one more time, and I'm going to fan your bottom. Not to say that a little spank on the bottom. I don't think it's a big thing, but it, not a beating, of course. But the point is, you know, a lot of parenting that I've seen in my lifetime, it seems kind of negative. It doesn't seem to teach values. I've often said that, let's say you're a man or a woman cooking at the stove, and you've got the ovens on and the stove, the whole thing is hot, and your little three- or four-year-old comes in, and you can see they're curious about what you're doing, okay? So you say to them, honey, don't cook near the stove. It's very, very hot. And they say, but some will say this, don't come near the stove or I'm going to smack you. Well, I think that tells a kid, this must be very interesting. I'm not to say that. So they go up and touch the, the hot oven, and they burn their hand, they cry out, and then they get smacked. To me, who's never been a parent, by the way, that doesn't seem like good parenting. People need to be taught. They need to understand. So I think this might be another way to do it, and it would probably take about 23 and a half seconds longer that you say, honey, don't come near the stove because it's hot here. Give me your hand. Let me show you. Bring them close, but don't touch it. Ouch, ouch, ouch. And you give, teach them the idea. So he said, don't go near, you'll get hurt. Okay, mommy, daddy. And they back away. Well, the prophets say, if you come here, I'm gonna, God's going to strike you down. He's going to burn your cities. And the language is awful. But here we have Isaiah saying the exact opposite. And this is prophecy at its best. God speaks through Isaiah and says, I'm going to go out and gather all the nations of every language that exists and bring them to Jerusalem, my holy mountain. Wow. And what a message that must have been for the Jews, the chosen people. They're the ones who are first and who get the message. But God is saying, I'm going to reach out to everybody. Second reading, Paul is writing a letter, and, and I think uh, the people are reaping the uh, fruitfulness, uh, not real positive, of what was happening because the faith was being extended to Gentile people. Remember, um, the people that followed Jesus initially were Jews. They became Jewish Christians. But Paul, who was persecuting them for following Jesus, had a conversion, and then he went out to preach to Gentiles. He was the first to do so. And the church grew rapidly in the Gentile world. And so what began, I don't know how many, or, but, and I don't know percentages, but I'm going to guess that within 20 years, after he uh, uh, reached out to the Corinthians, the Ephesians, the Thessalonians, the Romans, uh, that the, the faith grew in the Gentile world. So I'm going to guess and make up a percentage that maybe by the year um, 65, it was 75% uh, Gentile and only 25% Jewish Christians. So there were a lot of problems because these people, the vast majority, were not following all those rules and laws of the Jews, which were like 613, 14, 15, 16, I don't remember the exact number. Uh, 
And they complained, and they said they have to follow all the rules, and they had first counsel, and they resolved it, and it seemed to work out, but of course there must have been some friction that continued. And so, in the second reading, we're talking about having to chastise the early Christians because they weren't working it out probably very well. And they had to have some smacking of the hands, so to speak. But Paul's interpretation says God chastises the people he loves. Parents, they love their kids, and they, and they punish or chastise them or they teach them. you got to do it differently, honey. you got to do it differently. And that was certainly what was going on in the community. But by the time we get to the Gospel, Luke, who writes this about the year 80, more or less, 10 years after the second destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, so things are a mess. There's a lot of pain and stuff out there. But Luke was still somebody who believed with all his heart, like Paul did, Jesus is coming back any day now, any day. And so you better be ready. This isn't the time to say, well, I'll think about it. Well, maybe one day. He says it's urgent. So he tells this gospel passage, and he says it's like this. It's like the master who's gotten up and locked the house, and then people come to the door because they want to come in. And he says, uh, go away go away. And they, he says, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're from. And they say, well, we sang with you on the streets. We ate with you. Come on, you know us. He says, I don't know who you are. Go away. And, and then says that they will suffer like the evildoers, and they are just going to be lost. They're not going to get in. That was Luke's way of saying, in very uh, apocryphal language, apocalyptic language, that the end is coming soon, and you really better get ready. This is not a time to try. It's a time to do. A time to do. Well, I think clearly that message in ordinary times is what's given to us. And I think it's a beautiful coincidence that it falls on this weekend that we're celebrating Bernard. Because Bernard was a Cistercian monk. He, he, when he was 23 when he entered the monastery. Um, he came from a noble family, a lot of money, a lot of opportunity. He could have done anything, gone to any university he wanted to, whatever was available in 1260, 1290. Uh, but he, he, he decided to become a Cistercian monk, and the Cistercians were the strictest of the, they were like the Marines of monks. The best of the best of the best and the strictest, the most strict there were. And he became a great monk because he was very well-educated, very intelligent, and very spiritual. He loved the scriptures. He loved the scriptures. I uh, put into the Facebook page yesterday, on the feast day, what I do every day. I do a reflection on the scriptures of the day, which has just been uh, a remarkable thing for my spiritual life. Of course, I prepared scriptures for Mass and all, but writing it down and publishing it, in a sense, to people makes me do it differently, maybe more thoroughly or more communicatively, trying to find a way to make the word make sense. And, uh, and it really is, in a sense, essence, what Bernard did. He, every day he reflected on the scriptures, and, and he used that process where he read it three times and, and finally asked at the last time, God, what are you asking me through this word? What do you want of me? And the Word began to form and shape his life powerfully. Um, he was a monk, and then he was sent away to form a, a monastery. Then he sent his followers to three more places to, to spread the Cistercian monasteries three more times. 
He was a great, great teacher, a doctor of the church. And I think that the charism, maybe, that is given to us through him, because we like to talk like that, like Catholics, we say, well, if he's our patron, what in his example is there for us to learn, to get? And I think there's a lot with, with Bernard, particularly his great love for the scriptures and his great prayer life. I think that that formed him to be the man he was, and he did a lot of things historically in um, working on an issue when there were two popes, in being part of the Crusades, which some see that as not so positive, in just doing a tremendous amount of healing in the church, and he was in a monastery, a monk. So I ask you, and I ask me, on this, our 98th anniversary yesterday, just two years away from 100 years as a parish, what are we supposed to be about? You know, I don't believe there's anybody alive who was here for the original founding. I think there was one man who lived, I believe, on 33rd, died about six years ago, who was actually here when they built the first churches. There was one on San Fernando Road, as I understand, and then they built the church with the school over here, and that became the hall. And then in the 60s, at the time of the council, they built this church. It's the most modern church I've ever been in as, as a, a priest, uh, with no railings and all open. Every seat, you can see everything. Uh, it, and it's, it's a big, pretty big church. It's the biggest one in the area, I believe and probably with the most seating. But um, I think that if we look back 98 years ago, we have to say this. Once the archbishop designated this as a parish, Dominic's was just a couple years before, another great doctor of the church, and that's probably the reason that this got named after Bernard, another doctor of the church around the same time as Dominic. And with the intention of, of forming a real community of faith. So these Italians were the first ones here. Uh, it was begun as an Italian parish. And uh, they grabbed on and took over, and they did what they had to do. They built their two churches, and then finally this third one. And they gave of their money. They dug deep. They gave of their time and their efforts. They gave of the talents and their intelligence. They gave of their working with their hands. They used to have men's club who would fix anything that the McNulty or the other priests would ask for. So they, they literally built, they built this. And who benefits us? I didn't do a thing to get this parish. I was welcomed into this parish after all this gift has already been here. But we are at this very special time. In two years, we pass it on to a new century. And what's our part in that? It's the same thing. We dig into our pockets. We dig into our talents and our knowledge and our skills. We dig into our faith and our love. And we want to get this place all prepared so that we pass it on to another century. And hopefully uh, another 102 years from now, people will be saying, you know, oh, those wonderful people in 2024. Look what they gave to us. Look what they gave to us. So this weekend, as we celebrate Bernard with these incredible scriptures, they're inviting us to be a people uh, in which we celebrate a living faith, a faith of doing, a faith of becoming, not just a faith of words or thoughts, but something that we actually try to live.